teachers uh, for Sunday school this morning. And if you do not have one of our uh, new lessons, we're looking at a lesson number 12, The Journey to the Cross. Brother Dries, I think there's several back there. Uh, Brother David, there's several there. Uh, lesson number 12, The Journey to the Cross. And we're going to look at John 17 this morning. John 17. Brother Eric, is your wife sick? Oh, okay. I was worried about you all alone. I was gonna, I was gonna see if we get somebody to set with Eric. He doesn't behave. Dries, can you watch him? He's. A, I'm a little worried. He's by himself back there, and I'm just glad Mike's not close to him. Him and Mike would get in trouble if they were together. But it's John 17, and if I was with him, we'd really get in a lot of trouble. John chapter 17, and we're looking, of course, this morning, continuing our lesson on the journey to the cross. And I'm going to read the passage again. I know it's a little lengthy, but I want us to, uh, to get an understanding of where, where we come to in Scripture as we see the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy for us on this side of Calvary to forget what the Lord went through. It says in verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come unto thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those who thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled uh, in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, as we continue in this passage, we see the Lord Jesus Christ before his passion, praying. And Lord, how wonderful it is to know that you prayed for me. You prayed for all of us that would belong to you. And Lord, this morning as we examine your journey, your journey to the cross, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, would you help our faith to grow? Lord, as we see the perfect example this morning, 
Lord, bless every person. Lord, I pray for our Sunday schools this morning. Lord, I think of our children in Sunday school. Lord, I pray you bless them. Uh, Lord, as they spend the next few weeks learning about the coming of our Savior, Lord, I pray you'd uh, use that message in their hearts, Lord, that they would see Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Lord, I pray be with our teenagers this morning. I pray you'd bless them. Uh, Lord, as they learn of you, Lord, I pray you'd be with us. Lord, as we look at your journey of faith, Lord, would you minister to hearts. Lord, help me. Uh, Lord, help me this morning to teach you right your truth. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We mentioned last week that there are a lot of things in the world that began as ideas. How many of you have ever used a straw before in your life? How many of you have a straw in your cup right now? Maybe somebody does. Uh, imagine the person who patented the straw. Brother Krim, they would probably be a multi-billionaire and uh, those poor sea turtles. But anyway, uh, there's all kinds of wonderful ideas that people have had and uh, they have planned them out and they've come about. There are some things in this world that came about accidentally. There's a product called DEET. DEET was created by scientists. It was created as a chemical uh, solvent. And they created this product for the industrial commercial field. And they noticed when they used that solvent, that commercial solvent, especially in our climate, areas where there are a lot of mosquitoes. How many of you know there's a lot of mosquitoes here? Uh, some of the mosquitoes will tap you on the shoulder and ask you for a dollar. There, there are some big mosquitoes. They noticed that all the areas where they used that solvent, there was no mosquitoes. And somebody smarter than me said one plus one must equal two. And they found out that DEET not only works wonderful as a commercial solvent, it also keeps mosquitoes away. Now, uh, we find things that were created on purpose. We find things that are a byproduct that we find a use for otherwise. But this morning we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ going to Calvary. And can I tell you this morning it was not a byproduct. It was not an, oh, I guess we'll do this now. It was not a uh, multiple choice A, B, C, or D. Rather, it was planned. It was purposeful. Uh, it was a place our Lord was on the way to. There was no question about it. And we're going to look at a few things this morning as we continue in our notes. Number one, and I gave you this last week, but I want us to catch up together. It was a planned journey. Jesus' journey to the cross was a planned journey. It was not accidental. He did not just, oh my, I guess with the cross, I guess we came to Calvary. I'm not sure how this happened. Rather, it was planned. Now, the culture of the day, the political leaders of the day, Judas, and those that would be working behind the scenes to catch Jesus, thought they were the ones that orchestrated. They thought they were the ones that were directing everything to happen a certain way. But can I tell you, it was God himself. It was a planned journey. The crucifixion and the surrounding events were planned before the beginning of time, before God created this world, before time as we know it began. In John 17 and verse 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. 
as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. Notice this phrase, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus finished the work. That is why when Jesus was hanging on Calvary's tree between heaven and hell for you and I, he would cry out those words, it is finished. Let's tie It's finished. It was purposeful. It was a planned journey. It was a personal journey that was planned. So, so amazing as we think about that letter A, it was personal, a personal journey. It was not something that others decided. It was something that was planned between God the Father and God the Son. We see that in John 17, 1. In John 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can I tell you, when God said in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image, it was a conversation between a triune God. It was a conversation, the Father speaking, the Son was present. Understand, he is eternal, he always has been, and we see that closeness, that personalness, and it was a personal journey planned by the Father and the Son. 1 Peter 1, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, in verse 20 of our powerful verse, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you foreordained before the foundation of the world. I talked about this last week when you're building a structure. The first thing that happens is the foundation. I used to work in the Willis Tower. Uh, it was called then the Sears Tower, uh, one of the tallest buildings in North America. I, I worked on the 45th floor and 46th floor. Uh, I, I managed the MIS uh, department uh, we had giant server rooms. Nowadays, you'd have uh, just about as much computer in this, but we had big server rooms, and I ran the AS400 computer system, and uh, I had this giant area in the 45th floor of the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower, where I went to work every day. Now, that building is gargantuan. If you go to the outside of the Willis Tower on Lower Wacker there, uh, and you look up, it's like you're looking up forever. It's a tall building. But what you do not see, but which is very real and exists very much and has to be, otherwise that tall building would not stand, is there is a foundation that goes almost as deep as the building goes up. That foundation had to be laid before that great superstructure could come about. And can I tell you, the Bible says before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light. Before God formed the dry ground and separated uh, uh, the water from the land. Before all of that happened. Before God created all life on this earth. Jesus Christ 
was foreordained to take a trip. A trip to Calvary. A trip to that place, the place of the skull. Letter B in your notes, not only was it a personal journey, it was a purposeful journey. A purposeful journey. It served two, two primary purposes. Sometimes we go on a trip and you, you just drive to drive and just to get away from the city to maybe just, uh, just get away. But most of the time, if you're going somewhere, it has a purpose. You're, I've got to go to the store. I've got to go to this. I've got to go to work. I've got to, I've got to pick something up. I've got to go from appointment here. I've got a meeting there. I'm, I'm going to these places on purpose. And many of us, you try to plan other purposes to tie together with a single purpose. There was a purpose in this journey. Uh, number one, we see that uh, the first purpose was to give eternal life. 1 John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It was a purposeful journey. Jesus going to the cross is what brought you and I salvation. The second purpose of Jesus' journey as he would go on purpose to that place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary, as he would go to the cross, that place of torment, that place of anguish, that place of pain, that place of death, that place of sacrifice. The second purpose was to glorify God. In John 17, in our text, we see the words, I have glorified thee in verse 4 on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. In John 12, 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. In the book of John, two different times, we see the crucifixion and the glorification of God linked together. They go together. I remember once in high school, I was eating lunch on the bleachers. We, we ate lunch in the gymnasium on the bleachers in the gymnasium in high school, junior high and high school, the Christian school I attended, and I didn't bring a lunch to school. How many of you, how many of you did not bring a lunch? Anybody like me? How many of you brought a lunch every day? You brought a lunch with you. Uh, your parents loved you. Uh, maybe, maybe you brought some money to buy lunch, and I did that sometimes, but Brother Mike, I didn't buy lunch. I might have bought a little snack, a little Debbie snack, something like that. I'd pocket the rest. What I did, because I'm smart, I would go and sit with the girls at lunch. The, te the teenagers aren't here. They need to listen to this. You parents, have them listen to this later. The teenage boys need to know how to do this. I, I would go, I'd sit with the girls. Number one, they smell better than the boys. Uh, number two, girls don't eat very much in high school. And they're embarrassed to eat very much if there's a guy present too. So I would sit there and I would just look over and I would see what the girls brought. And there were a few girls who brought me something every day. You know, I'd get, I'd get, I, would, I would get a full meal, full meal deal every day. 
I just said, oh, thank you, I'll have this. Sure, I'll have that. I'll, sure, yeah, I'll take this. And I would eat one day. One of the girls who normally didn't sit in the area where I was. Now, I wasn't the only guy that sat there. I, I wasn't the only smart, smart man. There were some other smart guys, too. But one time, there was this girl who didn't normally sit there who saw somebody give me a sandwich or whatever it was. Maybe it was a rack of ribs. I don't remember. And said, hey, would you like, I've got an extra sandwich. Would you like it? And luckily, I, I said, well, what is it? It was peanut butter and mayonnaise. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you like peanut butter and mayonnaise because I will lose respect for you. But I said, what? Now, peanut butter and marshmallow fluff? Absolutely. Peanut butter and bananas? I'm down with that. Peanut butter, honey, and butter on toast? Hallelujah, the angels begin to sing in heaven. Uh, peanut butter and jelly? That's a wonderful thing. But peanut butter and mayonnaise? I know there's probably someone, don't tell me, but there's someone here who probably thinks that's good. And I said to this young lady, I think I'm full. <laughs> to me, those two things just do not go together. And I like mayonnaise, and I like peanut butter, but never the twain should meet as far as I'm, I'm concerned. There are some things that just don't seem to go together. But there's something that always goes together in Scripture, Always. And it, it doesn't seem to make sense to us. But it was the cross and the death of Jesus Christ that glorified God. Those Roman soldiers that would beat our Lord and smite him in the face would take the cat of nine tails and rip the flesh from off his body. Would take and grab his beard and pluck the beard from off his face. A Roman soldier that would lay his arm onto the cross and take that big spike and drive that spike over and over again to nail him to that cross. The soldiers that would lift up that cross into that hole, that socket in the ground, and the cross would drop and every bone would come out of joint. So our Lord would drop. The pain and torture and agony our Lord suffered as he literally suffered and had to pull himself up to breathe. All of that glorified God. That was the purpose. It was a purposeful journey. A purposeful journey to bring glory to God. Number two in your notes this morning, Roman number number two. I said it was a planned journey. But number two this morning, it was a painful journey journey, a painful journey. Thursday afternoon, I got some of my tools together and a couple of my toolboxes that are I keep here at the church. And I was bringing them out to my vehicle when I left the office. And it's a little wheel, it's a wheeled cart and I had double stack, quite a bit of stuff in it. And I'm slowly coming down the stairs. How many of you know that I shouldn't go down the stairs with anything except me? But I was going down the stairs. Uh, you know where this is going. Uh, I'm going down the stairs with this cart, and one step at a time, bounce, bounce, bounce. I get to the bottom of the stairs, and I go to step and pull the cart. And the cart rolled right into the side of my sore ankle. And I yelped. I said, Pastor, how do you know you yelped? How can you remember you yelped? Because we caught it all on the ring camera footage. <laughs> I sent it to you, didn't I, Colton? And I definitely yelped. Uh, it, ah! 
And then I just kept going, put in my car. Just, but it was painful. But can I tell you, the journey to the cross was exponentially more painful. It was a painful journey. The journey to the cross took Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where he would pray for you and for me, a place where the Bible says as he prayed, it, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He brought those men that loved him with him, and he brought the few even farther, and he told them to watch him pray with him, and he would pray, and even his closest followers would fail him as he found them sleeping. It brought him to a mockery of a trial where he was beaten and mocked, and yet on the side at a distance there would also be Peter, who would say, I know not the man. Three times would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine when Jesus' eyes met Peter's. Imagine the hurt. It was a painful journey. It was a journey that would take him up Calvary's hill. Our Lord experienced several things in his journey to the cross. And he experienced them for you and for me. Letter A in your notes this morning. He experienced a personal betrayal. A personal betrayal. John 18, 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into which he entered, and his Disciples. God uses his word beautifully to illustrate and to show us what is going on. We see some characters that exemplify a model we should follow. And we also see in the word of God some characters that we should not emulate. Every example, though, good and bad, is for our edification. We can learn. My pastor used to say, every man is my teacher. Every man has done something I have not done or has knows something that I do not know or has uh, learned something I have not learned. Uh, he, he realized that there were every aspect of life, there was a way to learn and something we could pick up. Christian, as we look in Scripture, as we see those that seemingly failed, as we see those that seemingly succeeded in Scripture, we can learn and take lessons from both sides and in between. But we see here our Lord went to that place called the Garden of Gethsemane. But before he went there, he had had a dinner that he established, by the way, that same dinner, that same supper, that we're going to come together as a church on the 21st of this month, as we're going to commemorate and remember the Lord's death till he comes. He initiated the Lord's table that night, and he said one would betray him, Judas would get up and leave. And Jesus, as he was in the garden with the other eleven, there came a moment where people came to the garden. 
Judas was leading that group, the soldiers. The Bible tells us that Judas told the soldiers, whomever I go and kiss, that's the one. A couple things I hadn't thought about till recently about that. Everybody was looking for Jesus. Wouldn't you think they'd know who Jesus was? Think, think about that for a minute. Why did Judas have to kiss Jesus on, on the cheek? You'd think, I mean, if, if, if the world wanted to take him and the soldiers wanted him, I mean, you'd think they, I mean, I know they didn't have the internet yet. I think it came about two hours later, but, you know, they, they didn't have that. They didn't have flash photography yet. Uh, I don't think, Brother Mark, they, they didn't have the blessing we have today. But you'd think they'd know who Jesus was. And, and just, just a thought, but I believe that those men that followed Jesus had learned so much and had become so much like Jesus that the world had a hard time distinguishing which one of them was Jesus. Oh, I wish that were the case for us today. I wish that we would live in such a way that the world would say, you know, which one's Jesus? But Judas came and the Bible says he kissed him. What an affectionate thing. What a loving thing. Now I know in our culture today, if some man came up to you, fellas, and hugged you and kissed you on the cheek, you, you might think it a bit odd. Because that's a little, little bit odd in our culture. Not as common. But many cultures in the world, it'd be odd if somebody didn't do that. It was a sweet greeting of friends with a knife in the back. Our Lord was rejected and he was betrayed personally. John 18, verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And this phrase right here is powerful. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. In other words, there are those who are opposing Jesus. Jesus is here. And Judas stood over here. He experienced a personal betrayal. Think of the pain of going through that personal betrayal of Judas. But we see it there. He stood with Satan. Judas outwardly appeared as one of the disciples, but Jesus knew his heart in Matthew 26, verse 48. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, the same as he. Hold on fast. Can I tell you there are those that will sometimes labor side by side with you and seem to go the same direction, have the same burdens, the same heart, that may betray you. And it is that betrayal that is the most painful. It is that betrayal that hurts the most. Jesus betrayed by Judas. In John 18, not only was Judas betraying him, but John 18 verse 17, then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also? One of this man's disciples, he saith, I am not. Hold on a minute. What did Peter say? 
Lord, I'll go with you all the way. All the way. Just ask the question. Hey, you're, you're with him, right? No. No. It goes on to say there in verse 18, And the servant and officer stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them. Not only did Judas stand with those who were judging Jesus, but Peter also. Peter also stood there. Jesus went through a personal betrayal. A personal betrayal. Peter was recognized three different times. We see in the Gospels, if we look, three different times Peter said, no. Do you know him? No. Aren't you one of them? Blankety blank, no. He cursed and swore. He probably said things like decaf coffee, tomatoes, other bad words. And he said, I don't, peanut butter and mayonnaise. I don't know them. I don't know them. I find it wonderful that when Jesus would meet with Peter again on the seashore. That Jesus would take Peter aside, not, not in front of all the disciples, not to humiliate Peter, make an example out of Peter, but to restore Peter. He would bring Peter to the side and say, Peter, do you love me? I'm sure every time Jesus asked the question, he was reminded when he said no. When he said, no, I, I don't know him. I, I'm not one of his disciples. And for every time he had a chance to say, yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. Peter, do you love me? Yea, Lord. The third time Jesus asked again, and Peter would say after the crucifixion and resurrection, yes, Lord. I'll notice that I love thee. But Peter denied him. It was a personal betrayal. It wasn't just the Sanhedrin. It wasn't just the political leaders. It wasn't just the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It wasn't just the Roman government. It wasn't just those that were vying for power of the day. It was personal. Letter B in your notes. Jesus suffered not only a personal betrayal, but also a physical beating. A physical beating. The angry mob had taken Jesus to Pilate. Pilate was Caesar's representative. Caesar wasn't there. So Caesar sent a representative in his place to act for him, to make decisions for him, to be his little marionette puppet, if you will. That's who Pilate was. Pilate was not acting for himself. Pilate was acting for the government, and he was ask, acting for Caesar directly. He, he was the puppet or the representative. Not a representative government as we think of it today, but he was representing Caesar. Jesus was brought there before Pilate. And the Bible says Pilate found no fault in him. Now, if you went to court this week, I just noticed Josh is here. 
Josh, you going to court this week? Maybe. It could be. Josh gets arrested today. I'm going to call the police on him. And uh, he gets arrested. Finally, he stands before the crown and finds out it's a case of mistaken identity. I mean, they thought he was, I'm not sure, who would you be mistaken for? Justin Trudeau or somebody. I don't know. Anyway, he, he's arrested. He's going to punch me after the service. Uh, but, and he stands before the crown, and the judge says, you know what? You're not guilty. I, we messed up. We have nothing to hold you on. Everything, you didn't do anything that I can give you a sentence for. So you're innocent. And he'd be like, whoo I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Popeye's and get some chicken. And I know the first thought that would go through his mind. And before he left the courtroom, they grab a hold of him, start beating the snot out of him. That's basically what happened to Jesus Christ. Pilate said, you're guilty. You're innocent, I mean. There's no guilt. I can't find anything wrong. And yet, even before the final judgment, which was the crucifixion, that was the ultimate. That was the, uh, the death penalty, the most cruel death penalty they had to offer in the day, and still today, one of the most cruel deaths. Before that came, before he finally came to the cross and he would get there, even though Pilate said, you're innocent, I find nothing. They beat our Lord with a beating that is unbelievable. He was treated unfairly. He was treated cruelly. They took and they blindfolded him and they beat him in the face. As you can imagine the scene as those soldiers would go up and take and as hard as they could hit him. And as he would no doubt hit the ground, they would say, prophesy who it is that hit thee. You know the crazy thing is? Jesus knew who it was. He knew everything about every person that ever struck him. And the most powerful thing is Jesus loved them. Jesus could have retaliated, yet he did not. They beat him. They plucked the beard out of his face. They took a crown of thorns, not little thorns like we think of thorns. We think of rose thorns, long thorns. They braided a crown and plaited a crown and placed on his head, not gingerly, but pushed it in. And then they took a rod and they beat that crown into his skull, no doubt into the bone of his skull. And that was just the beginning. Just the beginning. They'd lead our Lord out to an open courtyard where there was a post in the ground. They would tie his hands to that post in the middle of that open courtyard. After they ripped the clothes off of his body, as he would stand there naked, tied to a post in the middle of all the spectators watching, the spectators that would cry out, crucify him. 
Yeah, it's about time we got Jesus. As a Roman soldier took that cat of nine tails, that leather whip with nine laces and each one of them with embedded pieces of bone and glass and metal. And that soldier would take and whip around the Lord Jesus Christ as the pieces of metal and bone would fragment into his flesh and then rip it off 39 times. By the way, that wasn't even the punishment. That wasn't even the judgment. And yet he endured all of that before he even went to Calvary. He had to carry his own cross. All of that he went through for you and for me. The crowd wanted him to die. They even asked and let a criminal go free so they could crucify Jesus. John 19 verse 1 says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Scourge, that word by the way, means to whip or to lash with the purpose of inflicting torture. It says in verse 2, And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put, a, put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Back in John 18 and verse 38, it said, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said thus, he went out again to the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. Jesus went to Calvary for you. And he went through a personal, personal betrayal by Judas, by Peter. I failed to mention this, but not just Judas and not just Peter. Peter followed afar off. Peter would stand and warm his hands with the devil's fire. Peter would deny the Lord. But hey, where was John? Where was James, Thomas, Bartholomew? Where were the others? They didn't even show up. They ran like rats. They fled. Jesus stood alone. Betrayed. Beaten. I've read a report, a doctor's report, that says that <clears throat> the beating that our Lord Jesus suffered before going to Calvary was a traumatic enough torture that easily most men would die just from what he went through before he went to Calvary. That scourge, there was a reason that there was 39 save one, 38 times that they were legally allowed to beat someone with that whip. Because they had done their study, their scientific study. They found out that if they beat somebody more than that, it killed them. Their goal was not to kill them. Their goal was to bring them right to the edge of death and bring them as much pain as possible. But Jesus went through all of that 
And then he went to Calvary. Remember, as we talked about last week and reminded this morning, this was on purpose. It was planned. It was all of this that brought glory to God. Why? Because God is just. God is holy. Your sin, my sin, has to be punished. Jesus, my substitute, my propitiation, took my place. And he said to the justice and holiness of the Father, I'll pay the price. It was the pain of that price that glorified God. It was a walk of faith on purpose. It was on purpose, but can I tell you, Christian, it was painful. We come to the Christmas season as we think about why Jesus came. By the way, he did not come to receive gifts. He did not come to be worshipped, although he deserves worship. He came to go to Calvary. That was his sole purpose. I saw a picture the other day. A friend of mine who was in Israel and who had the privilege of going to see an old structure that still had a original manger that would have been similar to the manger that our Lord was laid in. And I saw the picture on social media this week, and it was, as I knew already, it was a stone structure. Not a manger as we think of, as we see in our nativity scenes, a little piece of wood together with some straw in it, but rather a stone hole, basically. And I thought, as I saw that stone almost like a cavern, like a hole in the ground. How very fitting that our Lord at His birth would be placed down in a hole in stone and at the resurrection He would come up out of a tomb so similar in kind to that manger that He would be laid into Every aspect of his coming, every reason he was here was for the purpose of going to the cross for you and for me, as was his physical being. He went through all of that for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your journey to Calvary. Were it not for that journey, I would not have salvation. And God would not be glorified. Lord, we can have both this morning. Lord, thank you for reminding us of what you've done. Thank you for bringing the vivid pictures to my mind this morning. Just a little bit of what you went through for me. On purpose. Planned before the foundation of the world. Lord, I pray you bless us this morning. Be with us in our service to come. Lord, may you be glorified in all things. In your precious name we pray. Amen.